What's up, everybody? Um, welcome back uh, to Fireside Chat, episode 213. Seth, welcome back, buddy. Excited to have you. So awesome. <laughs> it was a long day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, uh, we're both like foggy. <laughs> no, we were actually, this is the first um, live, live stream that we've done, I think in like eight or nine days. So it's, it's really good, and usually the, the, the benefit of having a live live stream is that we can see your guys' comments and respond, yeah. but you guys did such an amazing job this morning. I literally have three pages of questions for Seth. So Awesome. <laughs> we're going to see uh, how, how many we can get so through. We, we are actually live live. Yeah. Like, I'm actually talking right now. Exactly. We're not premiering this. <laughs> uh, there might be like a 30-second delay, but we're live. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So... Thank you guys for tuning in. Um, again, Seth, thanks for being here again, for sticking it out, the uh, uh, long haul of three services. Um, oh, my pleasure, man. Yeah. Love you guys. Dude, we, we love you, and we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to get you to, to be a permanent fixture, but you know, you know how it is. <laughs> Real estate. <laughs> um, the, uh, the thing that I, I wanted to kind of open up is people are kind of filling in, and everyone did such a good job asking questions and Seth is going to do an awesome job answering questions. I just know it. But before we get into it, I realize that nobody really knows anything about you personally, unless they tuned in before. So maybe some people that were here sure. this morning, like where, where do you come from? Your family, your, yeah, yeah. your spouse, kids? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good question. So yeah, a lot of people ask me kind of <clears throat> how I got involved with this because kind of always an interesting story, you know, especially on something like this. I mean, probably most of you probably never even met a pro-life speaker before. You know, this church obviously has, right. but uh, that's kind of a sort of very unique niche. <laughs> so people always kind of want to know how someone got involved with that. So I grew up in a very pro-life family. My mother was actually the director of a pregnancy resource center. Um, while she was pregnant with me. Mm. So I like to say that I was a pro-life activist since I was a fetus <laughs> awesome. um, because I was sort of doing backflips in the womb while my mother was saving babies. So she was directing a pregnancy center in Azusa, California and at a clinic called Living Alternatives. And I think it might still be there actually, uh, really close to APU. So cool. she began to lead that clinic, I think when she was 25 or 26. And then she stepped down when I was born in 1991 in her early 30s. So then she homeschooled my sisters and I. I was homeschooled through eighth grade, then went to public high school. But growing up, we did the walk for life every year, right. which a lot of pregnancy resource centers will do, right? Yeah. They'll like go door to door. They'll get friends and family members to sponsor them to walk. And it's just like a planned, like several mile walk where you have signs for life and right. then you, all the donations and funds go to the pregnancy center. So I did that every year growing up and... I think I was one of the top childhood fundraisers uh, awesome. for each year. But, you know, when you're a kid, you, you don't really have a full comprehension or sense of mm. how bad abortion is. Many right. Christians who say they're pro-life don't have a full comprehension of how bad abortion is. Yeah. Because until you've seen abortion and you've seen the dead baby body limbs covered in blood on the table, totally. you can't really have a sense of how horrific abortion is to an unborn child. Sure. And so it wasn't until my senior year of high school when I did my senior project on abortion that I saw abortion for the reality that it wasn't. That was the turning point in my life. Yeah. But yeah, I grew up in Whittier and uh, now I'm married with uh, two kids, one in the womb, one outside the womb. Congratulations. Uh, my son, Cedar, will be turning three on Christmas and then we have a baby girl due December 5th. So awesome. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. I love it. 
You you bring up an interesting thing and something that I, I was thinking about because as as we were talking about this morning needing volunteers for child uh, children's ministry, right? I almost call it child care, and our volunteers hate that because like, this <laughs> yeah, yeah, isn't yeah. child care. This that's is a children's right. ministry. ministry. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, needing more volunteers for that, and so so we we had kids in in service, and we have a family room where, but we we live stream the service over there, and there there were a couple of times where I was thinking I was like, I wonder how you know, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 year olds are processing this information and never feeling like, oh, maybe they shouldn't hear that. But genuinely, what what goes on in an 11, nine, you know, like a, yeah, yeah. a young child's mind when they hear about their society yeah. that, that <clears throat> okays, puts the stamp of approval yeah. on killing babies. Yeah. And I was personally, I was stoked to have kids in here to hear that yeah. and it's brutal and we we actually we toned it down we had some videos you had some media that you were going to share that actually depicts what it looks like um right. which is which is heart-wrenching for me because as i shared this morning having seen dismembered 17 week old babies and then having held my dead 17 week old son the yeah. the it was just mind-blowing yeah. it's something like never forget and, yeah. and well you bring up a good point and and you kind of touched on it but that's that everyone starts pro-life yeah everyone is pro-life as a kid mm. and maybe not until you know pubescent years right. is someone beginning to shift mm. their thinking on that everyone is pro-life unless they're raised by like an absolutely yeah. crazed leftist couple right. who are indoctrinating their five-year-old that abortion is reproductive health care right. otherwise everyone is pro-life as a child and if you show mm. a picture of a first trimester baby either inside or outside the womb to a toddler to a child and you ask them what is this they will say a baby and i did this with my son when he was I don't even think he was a year and a half yet. I don't even think he was, um, yeah, he might've been like just 15 verbal. or 16 yeah. months, not even 18 months yet. Right. And I have these images of first trimester children from an organization I used to be on staff with called the Center for Bioethical Reform. And they have taken these millions of pictures of the preborn child in the first trimester in the similar way that NASA creates and takes pictures with the Hubble telescope, Yeah, right? They take millions and millions and millions right, of photos right. in this wide pan photo, and then they stitch them all together yep. in order to what? <clears throat> create a crisper picture, mm -hmm. to create a clearer picture. Yep. It's accurate. It's just enhanced because of all the millions of pictures coming together to put the photo together. Yep. Well, they have now done this through embryoscopy footage of an actual camera that takes a picture of the first trimester baby. Yeah. So the quality that you're seeing of right. the child is incredible. So I showed my son one of these pictures, I believe of an eight week, an eight week first trimester baby. And I said, hey son, what is this? And guess what he said? Baby. A baby, baby, yep. daddy. Look, it's a baby. Yep. Everyone understands this because reality tends to be self-evident for most people. Mm. It really does. Totally. And this is the great conservative consolation, right? The great conservative consolation is that reality always reasserts itself in the end yeah. because reality tends to be self-evident. It's only the modern left who largely makes it their career to bury reality six foot deep right. and are addicted to confirmation bias and ideology that refuse to look at a child and say, look, a human, mm. look, 
a human. Yep. But reality has a tendency of crawling out of the caves that yep. modern leftists have buried it in and slapping them in the face totally. because reality demands to be uh, acknowledged. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and even thinking about ch- children's and that, that innocent mind, I was sharing with some people that m- my wife and I, we were, we were the most um, scared of and um, anxious about sharing this, in, the information that the, the baby that's in mommy's tummy, that ever, uh, the, my three-year-old, my six-year-old, even my, my little one-year-old, like they're all excited about it and yeah. excited to have another baby brother or sister. And so we, we were so worried about how do we tell a six-year-old this? Yeah. And it ended up being, thinking it would be the hardest thing, it ended up being the most healing thing. Because through the eyes of a child, they understood that, okay, wait, okay, that's, yeah, they, they, they grieved, oh, that, that's sad, I was excited, but you said he's in heaven? Yeah. Like, yeah, we said he's in heaven. So then he's stoked? Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, and, he, and then like my six-year-old's like, all right, cool, so like we're stoked then, right? And I'm like, hmm. yeah. Wow. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so through the eyes of children who Amen. understand yeah. not as much but end up understanding more because they have that heart. Um, which is biblical. Yeah. That's what we see. And it's the same thing where that nine-year-old, eight-year-old, seven-year-old, they're like, how is, what? Yeah. That's a baby. Yeah, amen. That's right. So we're, we're, we're getting, we're getting close to around a hundred people in here. So we're going to, we're going to answer you guys' questions and there's a lot of them. And honestly, I, I typically like, all right, yeah, we'll throw that one out, throw that one out. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. Everyone knows that already. But honestly, I have three pages of them. Not because I just want to look like I have three pages of questions, but because they're all really good questions. All righty. We'll do our best. Yeah. So, yeah. so we're going to do our best. I, I'm going to try to... We'll try to rapid fire, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So this, this first question, and they're all anonymous. There's a few names, but I just left them out. Um, this first question is, what's... And this is one a, a lot of people get, a lot of people want to be equipped to answer in. What's, Seth, what's your opinion on a situation where, where childbirth will kill... <laughs> Right. Or per- permanently disable a pregnant woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good question. Yeah, so what about life of the mother situations? And <clears throat> I firstly want to point out before I answer this, that this is the, a vast minority of abortions. So just from a statistical recognition mm-hmm. point, that's important to point out because many people in your life who use the life of the mother situations may actually be using it to justify their position, which is abortion for any reason or no reason at all. Right. Right. They're going to say, I support abortion because some women need it um, in order that they don't die. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's like, well, then if your reason for supporting abortion is life of the mother situations, then only support abortion in life of the mother right. situations, not in any situation. Right. So just be aware to sort of call that out. <clears throat> uh, excuse me. Statistically, I believe that we're talking about less than 1% or around 1%, uh, less than 1% where it would be life of the mother. But even that is misleading. And the reason why it's misleading is because abortion is actually never medically necessary to save the life of the mother. Mm. This is one of the most effective propaganda messages that the left and the pro-choice movement has implanted in the minds of young people is that you need to support abortion because sometimes the mom needs that abortion to save her life. Mm. If the pregnancy is what is the life risk Mm -hmm. to the mother, then the question becomes, Micah, is abortion the only way to end pregnancy? Mm. And the answer is no. no. What would be the other way to end pregnancy? Have a baby. Yeah. <laughs> Childbirth or yeah. a C-section. So you can induce early labor yeah. or perform a C-section. <clears throat> Could you grab me that water? Yes, sir. <clears throat> Excuse me, guys. <laughs> Didn't drink enough water. <clears throat> this one's unopened. All right. I think. <clears throat> 
Thank you, guys. We're, we're back in action. Sorry about that. <laughs> Let me just get a drink. So, even when a mother's life could be taken through the pregnancy, yep. you don't have to perform an abortion. Mm -hmm. And in fact, did you know it's actually safer yep. to induce early labor or perform yep. a C-section than it would be to perform an abortion? Right. So, <clears throat> let's just acknowledge that. <clears throat> now, someone might say in response to that, you know, um, oh, but what if the baby's not developed enough? Right. Maybe the baby is under 20 weeks such mm -hmm. that we don't have the medical capability to save that child at right. least yet. And so the baby's going to die anyways. <clears throat> okay. But do you see how different that is from an abortion? Yep. From a moral context, yep. it's very different to deliver a baby to intentionally save mom's life yeah. rather than to kill a baby intentionally in the womb to save mom's life. Yeah. Those are very different. Yep. So what's the hu more human thing to do? The more humanizing thing to do is it to kill the baby in the womb to pretend that you need to do that to save mom's life or is it to deliver the baby and so if you can't save the baby then the death of the baby is a foreseen but unintended consequence mm. because the intention was to save the life of the mother and yep. intention is very important from a moral perspective yeah. thankfully <clears throat> there's almost <clears throat> excuse me <laughs> Sorry. man there's only really one circumstance left where we know we can't save the life of both mother and child mm. And right. that would be an ectopic pregnancy. Yeah. <clears throat> and this is wonderful. I mean, women today have less fear of pregnancy taking their life than any other women in world history. Right. I mean, that's a really good thing. Right. And we live in the freest country ever that has encouraged entrepreneurship and creative risk such that we have these wonderful benefits at our disposal. And, but except not yet on the case of ectopic pregnancy. And right. that's when the baby implants in the fallopian tube rather than the uterus. Yep. If the baby implants in the fallopian tube, well, children start developing after implantation, which means the fallopian tube starts to expand and grow. Right. Left untreated, the fallopian tube will burst and mom and baby will die. Yep. You have to act very quickly to save mom's life after her fallopian tube burst. It becomes very right. difficult. So, in the case of an ectopic pregnancy, you would perform either a salpingectomy or salpingostomy. Okay, those are big long terms, but they're two different surgical procedures. And in those surgical procedures, you would either create a small incision in the fallopian tube and remove the baby. Or if you couldn't do that, you would remove the entire fallopian tube, leaving mom with just one other fallopian tube. Yeah. Okay, so either way, what are we intentionally doing? saving mom's life. Right. We're not intentionally killing the baby. Right. Abortion properly defined is the intentional killing mm. of the unborn right. child. So look at the difference in intent such that the procedure you perform, even though it leads to the death of the baby, is not called an abortion because the intent is not to kill the baby. The intent to, is to save mom's life. Wow. So the pro-life movement has always said that it's better to act to save one life than refuse to act and lose two lives. Yeah. That's a pretty common sense rule. So that's kind of how we think about life of the mother situations. But yeah, thankfully, good. we're almost always able to save both life of mother and child now, yeah. there are some extenuating circumstances. All right, maybe you're thinking of some other horrific circumstance I didn't acknowledge. Yes, there could be other extenuating circumstances, but usually we can save mom and baby. And now, even if we're inducing early labor for children younger than 21 weeks, before we know it, we're going to be able to save those children yeah, too totally. with it, with advancements in technology. So yeah, and it, it's it's interesting when you talk about an abortion being actually more dangerous and. And we, we went through this in the decision to deliver our stillborn child because my wife had had a DNC, which is yeah. just an abortion for a baby that's already died. Which, um, by the way, is very 
very manipulative oh, totally. and sick language. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> because abortion properly defined is the intentional killing of the unborn child. So they shouldn't even be using the same surgical abortion terms yeah. for removing babies that have died from miscarriage. Right. Absolutely. But you're right. It's safer to deliver the baby. Right. And this makes sense because if you guys think about it, even a pro-choice or if they really think about it and they're intellectually honest, they're going to admit that abortion is unnatural. Yeah. This is why, by the way, the cervix remains shut for the entirety of pregnancy. Why? Yep. Because nothing's supposed to go into the birth canal. Yep. <laughs> it's supposed to yep. stay shut until mom's ready to give birth. Yep. So, of course, there's medical risks associated with an abortion. Totally. All right, let's keep rolling. All right, let's go. Um, this, this is a really, really good question. Uh, and so this is assuming that um, ab- abortion would one day be illegal. Yeah. What will you do when and if and when abortion is made legal and people continue to abort their kids in a more risky, <laughs> dangerous way? Right. Oh, isn't this a fun one? <laughs> a lot what of, will you do about that? Seth? That's, that's right, your problem. That's right, yeah. <laughs> a, a, a lot of pro-lifers um, kind of avoid answering this question because they know that if they answer in an intellectually honest manner, they might tick off a lot of other pro-lifers or pro-choice moderates. I'm going to be honest with you guys, okay? I'm going to give you the honest answer that I think is demanded for intellectual and spiritual consistency on this issue. So people kind of get very angry at pro-lifers when they seek to abolish abortion because they critique them as getting prepared to criminalize women and to send them into jail. And they say, how could you do that? That's unjust, right? But these are coming from the same people who don't believe the unborn is a human with any rights or at least a person. So of course they think it's heinous to jail women who might kill their own children because they don't even believe these children are children. But assuming that we overturn Roe versus Wade, which would then send abortion back to the states, and then we succeed in passing federal legislation banning abortion or excuse me, just making the constitutional argument that no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, and property, and just making the constitutional case that that's all we need in order to protect the unborn on a federal level because there's no constitutional right to an abortion. Believe it or not, you're not going to find the language women can kill their own unborn children in the Constitution. It's not in there. So if we succeed in banning abortion at a federal level in all 50 states, what will be the legal consequences of that? Okay, well, I like to think about this in the same type of sphere that we might think about killing born people. Because again, if the pro-life case is true and reasonable to believe that the unborn is equally valuable to the born person, then they deserve the same legal protections and maybe even the same consequences for killing them. Mm. So if a mother paid a hitman to murder her toddler, how would we deal with that in a court of law, right? right? Well, I would think that the hitman would be charged with um, first degree murder. Right. But the mother would probably be held as an accomplice to murder. Right. Because you directly aided and abetted the killing of your own child. In fact, you paid for it. So far from just allowing it to happen, you actually paid to allow it to happen. And she would not be off the hook legally. Right. Right. And we would actually, as a civilized civilized society, expect and demand that she also be criminalized, put in jail, or receive some type of punishments. So how does that apply to the issue of abortion? Well, first of all, I think abortionists should hang. (laughs) I think abortionists should get capital punishment. Mm. Now, some people, you know, they don't really like that. Then maybe they'll they'll critique me for not being pro-life because I support capital punishment. That's completely different. Completely (laughs) different. Okay, nobody snuck an AK-47 into the womb. The child's not killing anyone, all right? (laughs) And if you think that it's – that – Killing innocent babies is morally equivalent to capital punishment for murderous rapists. I I, I don't know what to tell you. So obviously those are not the same. So I would support 
um, capital punishment for abortionists, um, also because they know what they're doing. So th- you can't even make a case that they were manipulated and tricked, right? You can make that case about a 15-year-old who's yeah. been lied to and yeah. manipulated by her father. Right. That's different. Can right. you make that case about the abortionist? No, he no. knows darn well what he's doing. Mm. Um, by the way, let's put this in a historical context. Nuremberg. Yeah. Never forget the Holocaust was legal. Right, right. How did we punish those Nazis? Did we say, well, it was legal um, and mm. so it's okay? Right, no. no, actually, we punished them for crimes against humanity despite the fact that what they did was legal. Yep. So applying that moral law and principle to abortion, I would support if it is possible to achieve it politically, capital punishment or some type of punishment against abortionists, um, even if what they're doing is legal because what the Nazis did to the Jews was legal and we still punish them. But what about the mother? Okay, there's this idea in the law called a meeting of minds. And what it means is sort of a, uh, an understanding between the intent or knowledge of the criminal and the, the wrong that was done. So because in abortion, many young women are lied to, manipulated, yeah. tricked, pressured, or forced into getting an abortion. Yeah, from a very young age. Oh, yeah. We, yeah. Would, not, we would not have the same type of legal punishments right. for that young girl or woman that we would for, you know, a 22 year old woman who is in her second trimester can feel the baby kicking already and still goes and gets an illegal abortion. Remember, we're, we're only talking about if abortion was made illegal. So there would be an understanding in the law that would adjust for that. People who tell pro-lifers that you're just going to jail and murder every woman who gets an abortion. That's simply not true. That would not be the case. In fact, you know, the Republican party as obviously is the only option to reasonably protect the unborn, you know, they, I can tell you that they would never be on board right. with, with jailing or murdering women who get abortions. Right. Um, and so we would have a recognition for that in our legal system of, did you have an understanding of what you were doing mm-hmm. or were you being manipulated, lied, pressured by your father if you're underage, yep. right? Underage women would not be held responsible in the same way as, as those right. who are adults. So all of yeah. these legal considerations would be taken into account totally. in, in determining these things. Yeah. Does that help? Yeah, totally. And, and something that I was thinking about too is that it, all of those things would, would be things that we would consider and what it would take is it would take real compassion and like really going into somebody's life and not just going like, you're all this or you're all that, but, but actually dissecting, hey, when did this start? When did you think about this? Who told you about it? How old were you? What did you know? And like actually going through, which is crazy to think about that that would be possible one day to yeah. actually come to a place where we But if we can achieve that and when we do, that's actually very important because the law is a teacher, yeah. right? Aristotle said statecraft is soulcraft. Right. And so in, in passing policies or laws that either legalize or illegalize certain behaviors, yeah. the country is actually sending a message that these things are either acceptable or not acceptable right. in a civilized society. And so even though the country wasn't ready to abolish slavery, yeah. we had to do that because these things were not acceptable right. in a civilized society and they had to be eradicated. And law began to function as a teacher yeah. to teach the next generation that these things are not acceptable. And so we know that law does influence behavior because we saw the abortion rates skyrocket yeah. after abortion was legalized. Right. And so we need to make it illegal so that we save many, many more children. Yes, some women will still get illegal abortions. We'll deal with that in a hopefully a just and merciful way within our legal system yeah. because justice is also important. And if you murder a second or third trimester baby illegally with full knowledge of what you're doing, knowing that it's a child, oftentimes that you can already feel kicking, then there is no argument for that you not knowing that it was a child or a blob of tissue. Totally. Cool. This next question is really applicable to us right now in this setting because we are both male and the person that asked this question is male. 
And I know that there are probably a handful of people in the congregation at, in the midst of the three services that were like, well, who are you? Who are sure, you? sure, are you? sure. So well, what do you say to feminists or other women who think you shouldn't have an opinion about forcing them to be pregnant only because you're a man? I need advice on how to respond. Well, my first question to that is I didn't force you to be pregnant, except in the case of rape, you chose to get pregnant. <laughs> I mean, let's just, let me just right. speak brutally honest. Like, though, even the way that feminists will phrase that, and, who, and whoever wrote this may have just been phrasing an argument. I'm not saying that this is what you actually right. said. But, no, but, they were specifically asking for advice on how exactly, to respond. Exactly, because that's how people would phrase it. Right. Exactly. So oh, totally. I, I'm, I'm responding to like how uh, your feminist who hates me would phrase their question. And you're right. Sometimes they'll say things like that. Right. You're forcing me to be pregnant and have children. What are you talking about? With the exception of rape. You chose to get in bed. Yeah. So if it was consensual, then nobody forced you to get pregnant. You chose that, right? Absolutely. This idea that consent to sex is not consent to pregnancy is just wild. That's like saying consent to eating 10 donuts for every meal is not consent to getting fat. Right. Yes, it is. Okay. Right. The, the act of sex directly leads to procreation. Yep. Those things are directly linked. You can take mitigating factors to try to avoid that, but you can't avoid the fact that those, things, those two things are directly linked. So, of course, I'm not, I'm not forcing any women to get pregnant or have children. You already chose to do that. And the abortions due to rape are less than 1%. So you can't even appeal to that to justify your position. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm a white male, right? I have the wrong genitalia. It's a woman's right issue. At the end of the day, there is a child in her body. So maybe I shouldn't be able to speak to that. That's just blatant sexism. Yeah. It's blatant sexism because listen, as Frank Beckwith says, arguments don't have sexual organs. Right. So if I make an argument for the validity of the pro-life position, I make my case from science as a human. I make my case from human equality that any argument you accept to kill the unborn can be turned right around to justify killing you. Oh, look at that airtight case. And you respond, yeah, but you have a penis. Right. I mean, that's actually like textbook sexism right, right, because totally. what you're doing is you're discounting my entire position right. and all of my thoughts on this matter because of my genitalia. Right. Can you imagine, by the way, and whoever asked this question, if you're listening, I want you to imagine for a second, what would happen if I told that feminist, this ideal feminist, right? It's just whatever, just right. some person. If I told that person that they don't get to have an opinion or voice that opinion on opposition to 40-year-old men raping 8-year-old boys because that's a male issue. Right. Oh, my gosh. Right. I would probably be called a sexist, right? Totally. right? And so deal with my argument. Tell me why my argument is wrong. Yeah. Don't attack my gender because you don't know how to respond to my argument, yep. right? And then the last thing I'll add is that 50% of the babies who were killed are males. They're unborn males. So mm -hmm. I'm just actually speaking up for their rights right. as a man. Amen. Amen. It's good. Uh, this is... Another great question, and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not just saying that, like I'm prefacing these questions <laughs> with how I actually feel about them, but uh, do you think that this in general, what we're talking about, is a question of courage? It takes bravery to raise a child, and women and girls are being brainwashed to believe they're perpetual victims. Courage seems to be a rare virtue. Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, courage yeah. is the prerequisite to all other virtues. Yeah. And if you don't have courage, you actually can't exercise any of the other virtues. Right. So that's a, that's a, that, that point is well made. Okay. And unfortunately, we have our culture and our media and our politics have either not taken seriously or straight out demeaned the nuclear family yeah. and the high honor of procreating and creating new human beings. Right. So we have a far less mm. kind view or uh, 
tolerable view for the family today than we used to because yeah. we have this view stemming straight from the sexual revolution that it's kind of all about you. Yeah. And so whatever decisions you make in your right. life that increase your happiness are perfectly acceptable because it's all about you, yeah. right? We've forgotten the timeless truths, certainly of this country and certainly of our faith, yeah. that true happiness and joy is actually found in self-abandonment and yeah. self-service and serving others right. because as we've learned in our own lives, we are rarely left satisfied and fulfilled rather uh, when we get a bigger paycheck, right. when we get another home, when we go on a vacation, we just want to do it again. We want more. We're never fulfilled. It's, it's, yep. it's in selfless abandon. It's in serving something greater than yourself, which of course should be the creator of the universe who made us for a purpose that we find true fulfillment. So well, why am I taking this aside? Because part of the ways that God made us to be fulfilled was to pour into our children, to mm. disciple them, to raise them, yeah. to impart knowledge and wisdom, part, namely that wisdom being serve Jesus, sons and daughters. Right. That is what you were put on this, on this earth and mm. earth and world to do. So when you demean the family and when you insinuate that those are not where happiness and fulfillment and found full fulfillment is found in you, yeah. in your career, in your life, and maybe in aborting your children in order to keep them from preventing you from achieve, achieving your career goals, yeah. then, then people don't even have not, not the courage. They don't even have the desire yeah. to have more children. So I, I think this question is well stated because a lot of people I think are afraid and they freak out, yeah. but I think I think, I think more women actually tend to get abortions because of selfish reasons. Mm -hmm. Yes, some women are freaked out and they don't know where to turn and they feel like they don't have help. Absolutely. Okay. And the church should be the ones on the front lines. But I think far more abortions are just, I don't want this. It's not that I don't think I have the inward strength of soul or courage. Right, right. It's that this is preventing me from achieving the things in my life. This is very inconvenient timing. Yeah. Right. And so a lot of that has to do with the dehumanizing view of the unborn because mm -hmm. we would never justify killing infants who prevent us from pursuing our careers. Um, and some of that has to do with a far more negative view of the family yeah. and of self-abandonment than we used to have. Totally. And the, 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 the other section of, of women who, who have abortions because of that, that lack of courage or that, that the insecurity or the, the lack of knowledge or the, this being scared and anxiety, I think this ties actually back into the previous question about men and how these are, these are women oftentimes that grow up in a, a family where dad took the, the stance of this question and was like, Look, I don't know. That's a girl thing. Like, we're not talking about that. You go to public school, you don't need a sex ed class for that kind of stuff. Like, I'm not going to talk about yeah. that. When dads, you need the courage to be able to go, just because I'm a man doesn't mean I can't talk to my daughter, my teenage, my, my preteen daughter about these issues. That's right. And that's... That's where the courage is. That's the, right. The courage in the family, like you're saying, the nuclear right. family. Amen. Yeah, fathers are very important, right? Yeah. We understand that. We've seen the studies of, uh, particularly of girls who grow up in single mother homes without a father, mm -hmm. are far more likely to have pregnancy yep. out of wedlock, are far more likely to get pregnant earlier yep. when there's not a father presence in the home. Totally. This is, uh, I'll skip that one. <laughs> it, it's good. It's just, we don't need to talk about it. It's fine. Uh, we answer that one, which is good. Please, this is, please repeat the statement, of, and you can just kind of briefly maybe give people a recap. Repeat the statement of aligning slavery 
Holocaust and genocide through abortion and how those are all equal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people get very angry when I make comparisons between abortion, the Holocaust, yeah. and slavery. At a school I was speaking at in Michigan last week during Q&A, I had, I had a girl looking at me with completely glazed over eyes, completely right. confused, and did not see the points of comparison at all. Uh, in fact, she said it was highly offensive that I made that comparison. Right. Okay, so while circumstantially different than slavery or the Holocaust. Abortion is wrong for the same reasons, and it still commits a deadly repetition of history, which is dehumanizing an entire class of human beings by denying them personhood. So in each circumstance, the government in question said that these humans over here, while obviously humans, are not persons. I mean, so that's the first point of comparison, is the denial of personhood rights. This is what Nazis said about Jews, it's what racists said about blacks, and it's what our Supreme Court said about unborn children. Another point of comparison is the sheer victim uh, volume of victims killed or mistreated, right. right? I mean, over 63 million babies have been killed through abortion in America since 1973, and over 1.5 billion babies have been murdered worldwide since 1980. I mean, these numbers are staggering, right? It's, I believe it's 30 million uh, people killed in the Holocaust, about 6 million of which were Jews. Wow. I mean, horrific numbers, but those pale in comparison to the number of babies we've killed. And just to give you the worldwide annual figures, by the way, we kill over 50 million babies every year worldwide. So we kill in one year worldwide what it took America, uh, I don't know, over, over 42 years or 40 years to do. Jeez. I mean, it's just unbelievable, right? It's a Holocaust like none other. Yeah. And so that would be another point of comparison. Another point of comparison would be dehumanizing language or caricatures yeah, right. to depict the victims as less than human. Right. And racists did this through, uh, through graphic sketches all the time, right? You might remember some of these, sort of like Uncle Tom and lots of other ones. And, the, you know, they would draw them with their lips very big. I mean, very dehumanizing caricatures. Caric caricatures of our black brothers and sisters. Same thing was happening in Germany, right? They called these people Untermensch, right? Which literally meant subhuman. Mm -hmm. um, they would refer to them as cockroaches. And they would also, through art and graphic depictions, depict the Jew as as something more similar to an animal than to a person. And now what do we do about the unborn? We call them a blob of tissue. Yep. We call them a insensate blob. We call them skin tissue. We call them the pregnancy. And we call right. abortions removing the pregnancy, gently suctioning out the lining of the uterus. I mean, these are all the type of terms we use. And so we also use dehumanizing terms to make the slaughter of the unborn justified in our minds. Yep. So that's the point of comparison. Now, the circumstances are different and the motivations of the practitioners of genocide are different, but the strategy is the same and the results are the same. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I'm going to save this one for the end because it's a good kind of tie it all in. Um, what, what loving questions uh, can I ask my daughters who both support Planned Parenthood slash a woman's right to choose to help them start seeing the error of, of that belief. It's mm. so hard to have these discussions, but I can't be silent. Yeah, that's a really good Which question. Which ties into what we were just talking about, about being, yeah, a, being a dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really sorry for, for, for you and, and for how difficult that must be um, to understand the reality of this issue and, and have your daughters be so supportive of, of that institution. For people who are really blinded to the issue of abortion and refuse to see the humanity of the child, Sometimes I recommend a strategy of exposing certain horrific details about the abortion industry mm. to people who support it right. to create discomfort 
with their support of that industry right. or position. Do you know right. what I mean? Totally. So yes, I always like to start with the fundamental reasons why abortion is wrong, mm -hmm. which is that uh, human life begins at the moment of conception. It's always wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. Abortion intentionally kills an innocent human being. Therefore, abortion is wrong, right? I mean, that's my syllogism, my case for the pro-life position. But many people are so lost in their bigotry that they refuse to see the child in the womb as a human or a person with rights. And so for someone who is that lost and maybe is going to take that long to change their mind, I'm going to start revealing really disturbing details about Planned Parenthood that they probably aren't aware of. And I'm going to okay. do that because those will be things that I know they will be uncomfortable yeah. with. Totally. So I want to create discomfort with their support of that organization in order to start picking away at their ideology. Yeah. So maybe eventually I can get to the root problem, which is their view of the unborn. Yeah. So what would be a strategy for you, um, mom, who asked this? Well, start exposing them to some of Planned Parenthood's grisly business practices. And if you want help doing this, go to Live Action. Okay, go to liveaction.org or their YouTube channel and start looking at their undercover video exposés on what they've done exposing Planned Parenthood. Guys, Planned Parenthood has been caught on camera doing some of the most heinous things. They have been yeah. caught covering and protecting pimps and sex traffickers. Now, these are all undercover journalists, right? But Planned Parenthood doesn't know that. Right. Saying, oh, I'm a sex worker. I got this uh, underage girl here. Uh, you know, I need to get an abortion and Planned Parenthood won't report it. Right. They won't report ca states, st um, cases of statutory rape. They won't report sex traffickers and pimps. Undercover journalists have called in asking to make racially motivated donations specifically to be used to abort black babies. Wow. So people have called in and said, hey, and, and this is literally how these phone calls of go. Funds. They say, yeah, they say, um, I have a problem with affirmative action. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I, yeah, I think, you know, I'm going to put this donation in my son's name. I just think the world would be a better place if there were less black people. Yeah, so can you make this donation and earmark it for a black woman to abort a black oh baby? Gosh. I mean, this is what they'll That's say so on the sick. phone call as undercover journalists of Planned Parenthood. And guess how many Planned Parenthood abortion facilities that they called turned down that donation? None. None of them. They were happy to take donations racially motivated by people posing as white racists in order to have less black people. By Goodness the way, achieving gracious. Margaret Sanger's goal of her Negro project, which was less black people. Right. So this fits right into Planned Parenthood's DNA. And so we shouldn't be surprised by that. Ideas have consequences yeah. and bad ideas have victims. And the yeah. bad ideas of the Planned Parenthood organization have wrought really bad consequences on human beings, on babies, and particularly black America, yeah. of whom abortion is harmed disproportionately more than any ethnic race. So this is a little bit of Planned Parenthood. They've also caught women going in, again, undercover journalists, saying if this, if this unborn child is a girl, I want to abort it. Right. Um, can you do an ultrasound to determine the gender? So they're literally being complicit in gender side now, yeah. which these same woke feminists will rip into China for their complicity in gender side, but then turn a blind eye to it when Planned Parenthood does it. So I, I hope that helps. I'm giving yeah. you some sort of tools you can use to maybe pick away at your daughter's support of Planned Parenthood. If that doesn't make them uncomfortable, I mean, I don't know what will. Those are pretty nasty things. And then, of course, Planned Parenthood's sale of dead baby body parts on the black market, yeah. violating federal law. And you can go to the Center for Medical Progress. So Center for Medical Progress, live action. Go to those organizations, look at their resources and undercover videos, and use those to create cognitive dissonance in yeah. the minds of your daughter and go, wait, maybe I shouldn't be supporting this organization. Right. It's the same, it's the same technique, for lack of a better term, uh, of how I've, um, how, how I've expressed my complete um, disapproval of support of BLM. It's you go, yeah, I, okay, so remove yourself from, from the yeah, emotional, that's right. what you think it might mean. 
let's go and see what is the platform. That's right. What were they built upon? What is their foundation? And if you're still at that point comfortable posting that black square on your Instagram, then it's, it's, a, to it's a different question. Yeah, exactly. It's different... Yeah, it's a good strategy. Yeah. So think about that. But at the end of the day, you know, you and I both would want to get to your daughter's fundamental right. problem, which is a dehumanizing view of the unborn. Right. Because maybe they might say, oh, but mom, Planned Parenthood does lots of other great work. Right, you know, this one. Uh, women will be left without birth control and sexual health care and STD testing. Uh, yeah, but they kill babies. That's like right. saying, like, uh, we, we shouldn't oppose the KKK. In fact, we should support them because, you know, they do soup kitchens uh, for, for white homeless people. <laughs> right. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, Crazy. the KKK? Like, okay, well, if Planned Parenthood's actions against the unborn are just as heinous as the KKK yeah. actions against black people, it doesn't matter if they do other good things. So that's what we want to get to is, is that person's bigoted view of the unborn that causes them to shrug their shoulders at those babies' dismemberment. Right. But we can get to that view through creating cognitive dissonance regarding their support of the abortion industry. Yep. Can you mention slash recommend a specific textbook that states that life starts at conception? Um, yes. There, there, yeah, there's a good range of textbooks. Um, the, uh, one of the most popular one is by Keith L. Moore called The Developing Human Clinically Oriented Embryology. That's one of the most popular embryology textbooks on university campuses. So Keith L. Moore, M-O-O-R-E, um, The Developing Human Clinically Oriented Embryology. Uh, that's one of the most popular ones. There's many more. Princeton has put together a great list on their website um, uh, quoting a whole variety of embryology textbooks from the 70s until now affirming the same biological truth, which is that human life begins at the moment of conception. So mm. you can look at Keith L. Moore's book, and then you can also Google Princeton, Life Begins at Conception, and they've sort of uh, cr created a compilation of a lot of those textbooks. That's good. This question is something we were talking about with some of the guys here before we started, um, before we started filming, and it's, why can the left do all of these things, um, and it's weird, kind of weird, by coming into power while we Republicans being in power can't stop these things already or ban them for life with executive orders. Why do we have to be afraid of those who are not even in power? So basically, hey, we have a Republican president. We all love Trump. We're going to vote for him. Why is abortion still a thing? Right, right, right. Yeah, good question. Yeah, one, one of the great frustrations of the pro-life movement over the decades of the pro-life movement has been a lot of setbacks that we didn't think we'd get even from Republican-appointed Supreme Court yeah. justices, right? right? Unfortunately, in Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey in the 90s, while both of those decisions went the wrong way for the unborn and the pro-life movement, those were both Republican-appointed Supreme Courts. Right. Uh, so you would have thought we would have had a sort of uh, reality or truth on our side, but we didn't, you know? And... and both political parties are fallen. Both are sinful. And uh, there's plenty of pro-choice Republicans, unfortunately. You know, it is an imperfect party, but it's not the party of abortion and infanticide, um, right. which obviously you cannot vote and you should vote against to keep them from obtaining more political power. Right. Um, but yeah, this has been a great disappointment uh, of the pro-life movement. It's certainly under Bush. My goodness. Uh, right. W and HW did very, very little. For the unborn, very little. Um, Reagan did a lot more, and Trump has been the most pro-life president in American history. Yep. Um, so, you know, we should continue expecting and demanding more pro-life action from this administration. And you know what? It's it's easy for us to say what we expect. It it politics is a hard game. Yep. It's a hard game, and you oh, constantly okay. have to make deals. You constantly have to often, you know, hopefully you're not compromising on principle. But you know, sometimes you have to work. You have to do really hard work to. Get 
get yeah, what you want totally. because you're working with people who hate you. Yep. They hate everything you stand for. Yep. Um, but you're both trying to achieve certain political goals. So it can be really difficult, and I get that. But again, abortion is as much a litmus test of this republic as yeah. slavery was a litmus test of the republic in the 1850s. And if we continue to get the right to life wrong, we're going to continue to lose all of our other rights. They're going to continue deteriorating because a yep. country that can't get that right is not going to be brave or courageous enough to defend any other rights. Yep. Uh, I, I, this question's interesting. I don't know if it's like a loaded question or something, and I'm just too naive to understand what is being asked, but it says, does the non-denominational Christian faith teach abstinence and sexual purity? And I don't know if you're speaking like our church specific, because to say the non-denominational faith, Christian faith is very, very broad. I would say that there are people that would say they were non-denominationally Christian and that they do not teach abstinence and sexual purity. Right. Um, but as far as we at this church, abstinence being not engaged um, in sexual acts before marriage, then yeah, sexual purity, yes, that is biblical. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of churches do. A lot of yeah. non-denominational churches will, will teach on God's plan and view of marriage right. and of sexual activity is only happening within marriage. Of course, a lot of non-denoms right, won't, won't touch any issue right, that well, might uh, sort of tick off the congregation um, right. or compromise their ties exactly. uh, from people, you know, it's who dreaded. might hold a more progressive view, which basically is just an anti-biblical view. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you know, sexual purity and the marriage bed is quite clear from scripture in terms yep. of what God wants and his plan for marriage. Um, but the same churches who are not going to preach on that, by the way, they're not going to preach on abortion. Because right, if you're exactly. not going to preach on sexual purity, you're certainly not going to preach on no something way. as controversial as abortion. And so if that's your church, you shouldn't go to that church and you should leave. <laughs> totally. um, but yeah, a faithful non-denominational church, um, evangelical church, um, will and should preach on these things. And all the more so now. I mean, the church, one of the reasons that the culture has decayed so much happened within the vacuum of moral teaching from the church, yep. of us removing ourselves from the public square, of telling ourselves we shouldn't be political, so we're not going to... Uh, encourage people in our church to run for public office. We're not going to try to put God's people in positions of power with a recognition of their duty as stewards to be responsible for that power in a way that honors God and loves neighbor. It was one of the reasons that the culture decayed was our removing ourselves from that and saying, we, uh, we don't have anything to say about that. There's no place for Christians in that. Right. And, so, uh, and, and so now a lot of those teachings have just seeped right into the church yep. and they're not even going to preach on their most, on the most basic biblical truths. Right. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. Um, this, this next question is very specific. We talked about rape victims being less than 1% of abortion cases. Um, but this question is, what defense is there for rape victims who find themselves pregnant? And I'm, I'm, not, sure, I'm not sure exactly what that question is asked. What, I, I'm not sure what exactly what the question means by defense. What defense is there? Right. So someone might be asking, what would be the argument offered in defense of abortion or should they have the option to get an abortion if they're raped? But right. let's just discuss this argument because you as pro-life individuals are going to be levied with this accusation yeah. and argument, probably more so than any other one. It's the most popular go-to one. And it's used by pro-choice individuals to silence you and kind of make you look like an animal. Yeah. Right. Because usually right. it's pitched something right. like this. So you're pro-rape. Like, I thought, exactly. I thought you were pro-life. You're right. going to force baby. You're 
going to force mothers to have babies conceived in rape. Right. You're going to force her to look at that child. What that child looks like the rapist. You're going to force her to go through that. And so then they're painting it in such a way to look like you look like an animal yeah. for saying that you don't think that children should be punished for the crimes of their father. Right. right? <laughs> and so, so let's just break that down. Firstly, the Guttmacher Institute, which is Planned Parenthood Statistical Research Branch, reports that half of a percent of the annual abortions are being performed in circumstances of rape. Mm-hmm. Okay, so people who appeal to rape to justify their position for abortion, just like the life of the mother situations, yep. are just doing that to veil their real position, which is that they believe abortion should be legal for any reason or no reason at all. Right. So the first question you can ask someone who is using rape as a justification for their position on abortion is you can simply ask them, if we set aside the half of a percent of abortions for one second, will you join me in opposing and fighting against the 99.5% of all other right, abortions? Right, 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 right. And they're going to answer no. 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 At which point you ask them, then why are you hiding behind rape victims to make your position sound mm, more compassionate? Which is tr- truly barbaric. It's exactly what they're doing. Yep. So so who, yeah, who's really barbaric here? Yeah. Who really doesn't care about rape victims? Totally. Apparently you who are using them as props to make your position sound more compassionate. Yep. But let's talk through the sort of the moral dilemma <clears throat> of this argument. So I like to ask someone who uses this argument, how many human beings are involved in a pregnancy that arises from rape? And I believe the answer would be three. You have the unborn child, the rapist, and the mother. Okay? So three human beings are involved in this pregnancy that has arised from rape. Who should get the death penalty? Okay? (laughs) Now, anyone regardless of pro-life or pro-choice, usually have sort of a gut reaction to that question. They say the rapist. Absolutely. Right? Because they're the only guilty individual. Yep. Now, rapists don't get the death penalty in America. Yep. I don't know if you guys knew that. There's no capital punishment for rapists. Right. In fact, there are very rarely circumstances of capital punishment today for murderers. Right. Usually they sit on death row for years, and sometimes they never even get killed. Yep. Um, so capital punishment is actually doesn't happen all that much in America as it is, and certainly not for rapists. It doesn't happen. So we wouldn't, the rape victim rather, doesn't get the death penalty. And the mother who's raped and is the victim is not allowed to murder her rapist. Okay. Now, what about the mother? Would we give the death penalty to the mother? Of course not, right? That's a barbaric insinuation. She's an innocent human being. But in some Muslim countries, they do this. They murder women who have been raped and they call it honor killings because they have a view of shame that suggests that if you've been raped, you brought shame upon the family and so you should be killed. It's disgusting and heinous because she's an innocent victim. Mm. So the mother who is innocent can't kill the rapist who is guilty and we would never kill the mother who is innocent. So the question becomes, if a rape victim can't murder her rapist who is guilty, why should she be able to murder her unborn child who's just as innocent as she is? The child is just as innocent. The child didn't ask to be created. And the child should not be forced to suffer for the crimes of the father. And one of the things that I think a lot of people miss on the rape argument for abortion is that abortion and rape are actually wrong for the same reasons. Mm. Because why is rape wrong? Well, rape is wrong because it's intentional, unjustified violence against an innocent human being. Why is abortion wrong? Because it's intentional, unjustified violence against an innocent human being. So they're wrong for the same reasons. Let me be clear. Abortion does not unrape a woman. Mm. It's not a solution. It just adds another act of violence. And it's pitched as a solution to fix her problem. But then people say, well, Seth, what if the baby looks like the rapist? You've heard this one, right? right? 
You pro-life are going to force a woman to go through that emotional trauma and raise a child that reminds her of her rape every day. Mm. What kind of, what kind of sicko are you? Right. (laughs) And that's how they pitch this argument. Okay. Well, if that's the case, then let's allow the child to be carried to term and born so that we can check before we kill it, that it does or doesn't look like the rapist. Because if your concern is that women shouldn't be forced to have rape babies because they might look like the rapist. Well, what if the child doesn't look like the rapist? What if the child actually looks like the mother? Well, we don't want to kill babies that actually look like their mothers and who the mother would have loved to raise. So here's a solution, pro-choicer. Are you ready? We're going to allow babies conceived in rape to be born. And then we're going to hold those babies up to their mother and say, does it look like the rapist? If she says yes, we will take that infant and we will throw it out the hospital window because that's compassionate because then we're making sure the mother doesn't have emotional trauma associated with her rape. So notice pro-choicers only support killing babies conceived in rape before they're born. Right. They don't support killing babies conceived in rape after they're born. Right. But what's the difference between that same baby that's conceived in rape before and after it's born? There are four differences. Size. Level of development, environment, and dependency. And those differences cannot be used to justify killing the unborn because we differ from the unborn in the same ways that we differ from one another. Yeah. And and guys, Christians especially in this argument and thinking about this, God is so good and his grace is so efficient. And just like I shared this morning, I wouldn't wish a, a, a miscarriage at 17 weeks on any woman, on any family, but somehow in the midst of tragedy, God goes, hey, I'm working this together for my good. Hey, there's good that's coming from this. And somehow I'm able to use good adjectives to describe terrible situations. And that's the grace of God. And so to, 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 to take this argument and just go, oh yeah, like throw it all out because of this horrible thing happens is just a slap in the face to the gospel. Yep. A God that, that <clears throat> takes terrible things and make, makes them beautiful. That's right. Yeah, we don't get to kill children that remind us of painful events. Mm, That's amen. not something we get to do. Amen. Um, we're going. We're going. <laughs> There's, this, this is actually very similar. Uh, so many foster kids and broken families. Do we need more? <laughs> that's, yeah. that's another argument. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and, and anyone who understands the foster care system knows right. that it's, it's, it's a pretty broken system. You know, it's very difficult. Oftentimes these judges do anything they can yeah. to keep the families together. Right. Even if the parents are in a horrific situation, yep. they're addicted to drugs, they're not suitable to be parents and care for the child. And so in that situation, you shouldn't do anything you can to keep parents together. You should yeah, yeah. do anything you can to keep families together up to a certain extent, not at the point to where it's harming the child. Yeah. When there's maybe foster foster parents who are willing to adopt that child and care for that child. So yes, these systems are definitely broken, but right, of course, abortion is not a solution to that. Totally. So people say, oh, we need abortion because otherwise, look at these children, they're going to grow up in horrible circumstances and they're not going to have a life. I mean, that's just straight up eugenics. I mean, that's some evil stuff. Yeah, totally. you're, you're saying that you're going to sit on the throne as God and determine the degree to which someone's suffering might be intolerable or not and then murder them before they get to that point in order to claim that you're compassionate. I mean, that's ridiculous. Crazy. Uh, this question, I'm not sure if it was asked in the negative, or it, I'm not sure if it was asked in the, in the negative, trying to be asked in the positive, but the question as it was written is, how do we know that the un, unborn does not feel pain? 
Right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good question. So <clears throat> we're finding out from medical research recently that the unborn child can feel pain at earlier and earlier stages. Yeah. And if you want to look at some research on this, Dr. Maureen Kondik has done wonderful research on fetal pain. Okay. Dr. Maureen Kondik is, I believe, a neonatologist and embryologist. And we are now we are now finding that the unborn child can definitely feel pain in the first trimester. In fact, maybe as early as around 10 or 11 weeks. Okay. Now, when you hear about pain-capable unborn child protection acts, maybe you've heard of some of this incremental pro-life legislation, what it would do is it would ban abortion after 20 weeks, I believe. Because at 20 weeks or 21 weeks, the unborn child can feel the full range of human pain. Right. Meaning that if you were to prick them, or scratch them, they would experience that in the same way that you or I would. So they were, they're capable of feeling the full range of human pain, okay? But that doesn't mean that they're not able to feel some degree of pain before that, right? right? Because they're still developing their sensory, uh, their senses and right. everything, right? So Dr. Marie Kondik has actually shown that the unborn child can feel pain in the first trimester. Right. So when people say, I'm against abortion once the unborn child can feel pain, these sort of moderate pro-choicers, right. I tell them, well, did you know they can feel pain in the first trimester? So will you join me in fighting against yeah, exactly. first trimester abortions and they yeah. go no 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 the no, first no, no, trimester no abortion should definitely be allowed okay then you don't really care right. about that and one question you can ask pro-choicers to kind of just expose the barbarity of their um, the barbarism of their position is ask them if they would support giving painkillers to unborn babies before Jeez. abortion so they don't feel the pain of dismemberment right uh, any way they answer that question is going to make them look like an animal. Because totally. if they say no, then they're saying, so you Torture. want unborn children to feel the pain of dismemberment? Jeez. And if they say yes, then they're admitting that they agree with you that the unborn child can feel pain, but that it's okay to kill them if they can't feel pain. And a there's, a, there's a disorder, by the way, called congenital analgesia, where born people can't feel pain. Right. So can we slit their wrist because they can't feel pain? I mean, it's just it's it's crazy. crazy, right? Since one was pain a qualifier for murder. Exactly, like, exactly. That's a good point. Because we're not valuable because of whether we can or cannot feel pain. We're valuable because of a human nature, which began at the mm. moment of conception. But the fact that the unborn child can feel pain makes abortion that much more barbaric. Mm, for sure. That's good. We kind of answered this one. How do we deal with the scenario of severe physical and sexual abuse of children that are born in homes because they aren't wanted by their mothers and families? In some ways, the lives of these children will be horrible. You spoke on that when we were talking about foster care. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, totally. And you know what? I, I have been completely blessed and honored to grow up in a loving family where I wasn't exposed to those types of things. Yeah. So I, I can't imagine how difficult that has been for some of you or some of those in your life that you may know um, who are still bearing the emotional scars and maybe physical scars of a lot of abuse growing up. Yep. Um, I can't imagine that. Yep. But pro-choice individuals who pitch abortion as a solution to the possible future suffering of others... Mm -hmm. Um, have a broken moral compass and ought yeah. not to be trusted with any type of power. But of course, we as Christians on the front, we should be the ones on the front line loving for people who are broken. Yeah. Uh, we should be the ones adopting the babies. We should be the ones caring for those who have been wounded yeah. and emotionally and physically injured through abuse, whether that's sexual or emotional. We should be the ones uh, applying the sob of the gospel to people who are broken. But abortion is, is, is never a solution. And if there is abuse in these circumstances and in these homes, you know, this is one of the reasons why we need Christians 
Christians in the public yeah. square, why we need Christians in institutions that wield power, um, and why we need Christians involved in government. Yep. Because if, if and when that is happening, we need people in, ensuring justice, ensuring that people are fired, ensuring that people are criminalized. Yeah. And if, and of course, the point I always make is that if the church were serious about adopting children and ending abortion, we wouldn't even need these institutions. Yeah. We wouldn't even need these broken government institutions to care for the broken to pick up yeah. the heartbreak that was created by the church abdicating their responsibility yeah. in the public square to promote righteousness and to love our neighbor. Yeah. If the church was adopting all babies like we were as early Christians were in the first century, then government would just be turning to the church to fill in the heartache that instead has been created through our abdication of our political duty. Can you imagine if the church was saying, we'll take Amen. all the babies, Amen. right? If we were standing outside of abortion clinics saying, we'll adopt your baby while working politically to make abortion yeah. illegal and being there ready to pick up those pieces, um, these, these institutions wouldn't be needed. Yep. Um, this is a good one. <laughs> Should us believers support getting birth control, which is a very broad statement? Sure. Um, I assume that they mean normal, what everyone would consider birth control. Also, Plan B, which is huge, yeah, hugely different. Uh, so people don't use abortion as birth control. Right, right, right. Yeah, good question. So there's a couple questions wrapped up in there right. because Plan B right. is not technically speaking birth control yep. because it does have the possibility of causing an early abortion. Birth control or contraceptives definitionally mean preventative. Exactly. They mean you're preventing conception. Right. So you're putting in safeguards right. to try to not get pregnant. Yep. Anything that could cause an early abortion if you get pregnant anyways would not be contraception right. if you care about the definition of words yeah. because contraception is always meant prevention right. By you're definition, not preventing it would be exactly you're not preventing an, uh, a pregnancy if you take something that if it fails causes an early abortion right. at yep. that point you're talking about an abortifacient mm. okay or medication abortion now of course plan b is not intended to work that way right, right? it's not but it can. So plan B or the morning after pill is the oops pill, right? It's the, well, I didn't use protection. Uh, now it's the morning after. So I'll just go with plan B, which is to make sure I don't get pregnant. So you take this pill. Problem is, if it fails, there's still chemicals in that pill that mm. could cause an early abortion. Now, there's a lot of debate within the medical community about whether these are causing early abortions. But we do know that it's a possibility. It's yep. very difficult to know because if an early abortion happens, you wouldn't know. Right. It would be so early yep. that you wouldn't know. But pregnancy can occur occur within 24 to 48 hours yeah. of sex. It can, right? Now you're not going to know immediately, but the plan B is taken the next morning. So if you still get pregnant, it could cause an early abortion. Yep. So think of it this way. For those of you who attend Godspeed Calvary Chapel, what hap would you do if you came here, child care is open back up again, and the people running the children's ministry tell you, uh, uh, hey, so actually we, we only have a half of a percent uh, rate of children dying under our care <laughs> at the church. So that's really low percentage, but don't worry, your children will be fine. Would you take your children to the children's ministry here? No, right. of course you wouldn't. Uh, you would not gamble the life of your child even at half of a percent right. um, 
at a place that was actually created to protect them, okay? You wouldn't take that chance. So we as Christians, frankly, we as pro-life individuals, this shouldn't be purely animated by a Christian belief. If you believe in the pro-life position that human life begins at the moment of conception, is intrinsically valuable, and has the same rights as born people, then we shouldn't be taking something that if it fails to stop pregnancy can actually cause the murder and death of that early human being Mm. who dwells in a womb that we once came from. So just so you know, that's what plan B is. Now what about birth control, right, or contraceptives? From a moral standpoint, I, as a Christian, don't have a moral case against birth control. Now, I actually really like, however, the Catholic perspective on birth control. The Catholic perspective on birth control goes something like this, okay? And maybe you'll have greater respect for this Catholic perspective if you're a Protestant or you don't really know certain Catholic doctrine. Their case goes like this. Because sex is intrinsically connected to procreation and God created sex for the creation of new human beings that he wants you to be a steward of and raise as disciples to serve him, anything that disconnects sex from procreation actually further entrenches the damaging cultural view that children are not a blessing but a burden to be avoided as long as possible and only when they improve your own life. And so because birth control has been used as a selfish means to disconnect sex from pregnancy, it's actually further enshrined the pro-choice position in the mind of the church and the Christian, which insinuates that if I consent to to sex, that doesn't mean I consent to pregnancy. So what does that maybe do in the minds of many young people, maybe even Christians? I think it might actually entrench a very soft form of the pro-choice position, which is that I have the right to disconnect sex from pregnancy. Mm. And so if I have that right, but then it fails, the birth control fails, and then I get pregnant, well, what the heck? What the heck? It's my right to control my reproductive instincts. It's my right to disconnect sex from pregnancy. It's my right to have sex without responsibility for as long as I want until I decide I want to have children. So then if you get pregnant and it fails, you may be more likely to opt for abortion than you would have been under moral teaching from the church that sex is intrinsically linked to procreation. You can't separate the two and therefore you shouldn't be resorting to behaviors and uh, strategies that try to separate those two because when God created us in the garden and he also created our reproduction, he said, it is good. Yeah. And he says, children are a blessing and a heritage from the Lord, like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Have you noticed that children are the only thing in scripture that are called a bless? Uh, children are the only blessing in scripture that we say we don't want too many of. Yeah, totally. Now, I'm, I'm not an open womb theorist, okay? <laughs> right, so I'm right, not right, someone right. who thinks that women should have as many children as biologically right, possible. Right. That's silly. Right. It's not a serious position and it can be a dangerous position. So that's not me. I'm just saying children are the only blessing in scripture that we as Christians say, but not too many, Lord, mm. but not too many. Wow. And, and let me pick how many I want. Oh, yeah. And then when I'm done picking how many I want and telling you, God, how many of your children I'm gonna have, after I'm done telling you how many, I'm gonna stip myself to make sure I don't have any too many more of your blessings. Wow. Children are the only th- blessing, in the, blessing in scripture that we say we don't want to, because what else is called a blessing in scripture? Money, right. property, friendships. I mean, who would say no more of those, God? Yeah. No more of those, it's only children. So to come back around to my point, Catholics make the point that the popularization of birth control within the church has actually done harm to the church and to abortion because it assumes a premise of the pro-choice position, which is that children are a burden, should be avoided, and it's your right to disconnect sex from pregnancy, which then might make you more susceptible to choose abortion. 
So I hope that's, that's sort good. of a helpful yeah. perspective. I have a, I have a lot of respect for that Catholic perspective. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you that it's a moral wrong to use a condom. Okay, right, right. I, I'm not going to make a moral case against actual contraceptives. Right. We as pro-lifers can have nothing to do with abortifacients or yeah, things yeah. that could cause early abortions. But just think about that and be aware of maybe how reliant you are yeah. on on telling God you don't want too many of his blessings and in disconnecting sex from pregnancy. Just think about that because remember the telos of sex, the telos of sex in the eyes of God, that means the purpose is procreation. That's good. I hadn't heard that perspective before. That's really good. Um, Then there's about, there's more, there's probably like six more. We're at 8.05 now going for about an hour. So I'm going to just, I'm going to ask a few more that are short. This one's actually a question to you guys. And that's every Wednesday, a group of Christians and Catholics stand outside of Planned Parenthood in Ventura on Ralston, Ralston to pray and talk to women that are walking in from 7.30 a.m. to 11 a.m. The question is, who will join us? Yeah, that's, good. that's great. <laughs> so that's for yes, you guys. We need a Christian witness outside every abortion clinic in the country. And for as sure. I said this morning, if you were here and I had, I, I had a man come up to me and said he wants to do this. So mm-hmm. listen, this church is already active in pro-life. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that you're not doing enough and you guys think you're wonderful people. Right. What I'm saying is we all have a role to play. Yeah. And so if you want to step up into that role, yeah. I'm going to connect you with my friends at Love Life in Charlotte. And they exist literally as, as brothers and sisters of ours to help disciple and raise up local Christians and communities at churches to run active pro-life initiatives at their church to put a Christian witness outside every abortion clinic and to train you how to engage in sidewalk counseling and prayer and ministering to women. And then having a strong relationship with the local pregnancy resource center so these women can get immediate help, but also spiritual help from the church community and plugging them into your church as well. So get that going here, get those people outside there. And what would it look like if just a handful of churches in every County in America were putting their people outside abortion clinics every day that they performed abortions every day, we could bankrupt the abortion industry and it would make incredible um, difference and an incredible witness to the world as well. Totally. So here's the last, last two questions. This, this, this one I have an answer to, and I, but I would still love for you to answer it also. Um, but this is specific to our church, and that, that's what's the best way to talk to someone who has had an abortion? And there's huge interpersonal things and tips that, that maybe Seth can give, can give you guys. But specifically, we have a ministry here at Godspeak created and designed around talking to and ministering to women who have had abortions. So that's our Healing Hearts ministry. Vicki Miller is lighting it up in the live comment section right now. So she's going to post her Healing Hearts email. I can't remember off the top of my head if it's vicki at healinghearts.com or .org, but she's going to write that in there. And um, yeah. you, you guys reach out to her if you need, because a lot of times that, that's, what, that's what the church is here for. That's right. And, and we're here to facilitate this, um, this hard thing that you're going through and maybe your family's going through. So you don't have to feel the burden of like, how do I have everything that Seth has so that I can, that I can show compassion or, or win this person over or whatever it may be. But in this specifically, um, the Lord's blessed us with an amazing healing hearts ministry and really encourage you guys who are, or, or women who Amen. are post-abortive to That's take right. advantage of that. Yeah. And like I said today, just remind men and women yeah. who are post-abortive that Jesus yeah, yeah. is just as eager to forgive the sin of abortion as any Amen. other sin. There was grace for King David. There's grace for you. Amen. Amen. And then this last question I, I want to wrap it up with and Seth, thank you so much for like going through all these. It's so it's good. Awesome. So good. Seth didn't have uh, he didn't like, he wasn't studying these questions beforehand. He's just like, go for it. So 
So good. I'm learning. I'm learning a ton. Um, and this this last question, which I think is really important, is Seth. How can we support you? <laughs> that's, that's kind of you guys. Yeah. Um, so I do, I do this full time, and I do it primarily through a team of partners because I speak in schools and youth groups and churches often, um, very cheap or free if I can, mm. um, and I don't ever want money to be sort of a blockade to someone getting me into their school yeah. to communicate these ideas. Right. Uh, obviously, I do have my family to support, uh, so you know I, I I will accept you know some honorarium to speak, but right. I don't want that to be a blockade to anyone. So I have a team of partners who support me on a monthly basis. That also enables me to sometimes uh, cover travel expenses or to speak free somewhere to someone, especially if we have people that can underwrite um, some costs for that. Um, It'll also enable me to reach more people, um, be able to get into more schools, have people help out with event coordination um, because it's very time consuming to get into these Protestant Catholic high schools I go to. Usually most of the faith-based high schools I go to guys to communicate the various ideas with them that I did with you today have never had a pro-life speaker before. So we're getting me into schools who have never had these ideas articulated to their young people before. If you care about that in the next generation, then supporting me will enable us to get me into more of these schools and do interactive Q&A with students in the classroom following the assembly talk. On top of that, we're creating a new series of pro-life videos soon, which will be very short and viral friendly, professionally produced with animation that a buddy's going to help me out with. And those will be targeted towards the people who disagree with us or on the fence to go viral, hopefully on Facebook and YouTube. And then I have the podcast, which has its own expenses. So everything you do is helping us change minds, change hearts and save lives. So you can text babies to 47. 4747. Okay. You can text babies to 474747 or you can go to my website, sethgruber.com. You can sign up for my newsletter. You can also uh, click the donate button there if you want to partner with me on a monthly or just uh, make a lump sum gift towards having a greater impact. So those are ways you can get involved, but also to reach more people, consider bringing me to your son or daughter's faith-based high school, a youth group that they go to at a different church. Um, That's the follow-up. The follow-up question is, can we help help by introducing you to people and organizations? So the primary venues I speak in are pregnancy resource center banquets, churches, youth groups, faith-based high schools, secular high schools, faith-based and secular colleges, conferences, um, and uh, public debates on university campuses. So if you want to get me into a youth group or a school, or if your son or daughter runs a conservative or pro-life club at a secular university campus, we can plug in with them too. So basically any venue that will have me, you know, I'll speak at. So Awesome. I love it, man. I love it. Seriously, it's it's so huge because a lot of times we have guests on and we say, how can we support you? And they're like, oh, it's, you know, it's all good. Like, and, but it, it takes, it takes humility to ask for help and you got to be at a place where like, no, this is important and I need help doing this. And, and please guys take, take Seth up on his request because he, uh, he needs help doing this and you're so effective and you're doing such an amazing job, man. And I'm, I'm inspired. I've been inspired by this entire day. Um, so awesome to be with you guys. Thank yeah. you. And I, I hope that you'll come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, of I, course. I <laughs> and and when Rob's here, this has happened a few times now where Rob's Rob's just spontaneously had to leave, and then I get the privilege of having, <laughs> yeah, getting yeah, to yeah. sit with the guest. And <laughs> yeah, I'm, awesome. I'm blessed to be able to be here. Yeah, so awesome. Um, well, I'm I'm gonna pray for you, Seth, and for for everyone watching. And I think I'm gonna thank the Lord for the day, and then we're gonna close with the blessing like we always do, and we'll be out of here. You can get Wonderful. some sleep. <laughs> so, Father, I. I just thank you for, from 9 a.m. this morning to now uh, 8 something p.m., Lord, how you've been working 
And Lord, you're, you're so good. And God, I thank you for bringing Seth here. I thank you for giving him the ability to, to preach your gospel ultimately, Lord, and that it would be effective in changing this generation and, and healing hearts of people and, and changing minds, Lord. And God, you've given him such an amazing clarity in, in, his, uh, in his words. And Lord, you've blessed him with that ability. And I, can, and I pray that you continue to bless him, continue to refine him, Lord. Lord, would you continue to bless his family? Lord, I pray for a safe pregnancy of his child in the womb. I, say, I pray for a safe delivery of his, of his child, Lord. And God, just be with his family, Lord, and be with his extended family too, as I, I know are going through some health craziness, Lord, to just heal his family, Lord, and be with him. God, uh, we thank you for everyone watching. Thank you again for this morning. You're so good to us, Lord, and, and we love you and praise you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 All right. Well, we'll close with the blessing from number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. We love you all. We thank you for tuning in. Uh, we look forward to seeing you tomorrow night at 6 p.m. as we gather here in the sanctuary with Pastor Rob and we yeah. pray over the election. Um, we, need, we need to take a, a time and dedicate it to just seeking the Lord and, and laying it all down at his feet. So I encourage you guys, come back at 6. If you can't be, uh, be there, email us your prayer at info at godspeak.com so that we can read that prayer on the live stream and, and let everyone know how we're all unified in, in submission to the Lord. So we love you. We will see you tomorrow night at 6 live or 7. Um, we'll be live streaming uh, the portion of the prayer service at 7 too. So you can catch us live here on the YouTube channel at 7. And that's it. Awesome. All right, we'll see you guys tomorrow night. God bless.